Hello, everyone. This is Richard Robertson from the Dean's Office. Joining me today are Peter Sorotin and Alan Heinlein. Uh, and we're here looking forward to a really wonderful concert this Sunday. This will be the second in our series of War and Peace concerts featuring uh, the Middleson Piano Trio and also Central Pennsylvania Youth Ballet and the wonderful choreography of Alan Heinlein. And I believe this is now the third collaboration between the trio and CPYB and, uh, and Alan. And so uh, it's going to be a great uh, afternoon of music making and dancing. And uh, Peter, earlier this year, we had a podcast introducing our first War and Peace concert, and you spoke about that at great length. But I know you had some particular thoughts about this concert, so perhaps you could just set, set this concert up and what you were thinking as you planned it. Well, um, just to remind everyone, the idea behind both programs was to celebrate 150th anniversary of publication of one of my favorite novels, War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, uh, but also use this opportunity um, to look into many ways that War and Peace profoundly impacts our experience and human experience through history. And for this particular concert, I chose Russian music because Russia underwent a seismic shift that involved quite a bit of war um, in the earlier part of the 20th century. And uh, the difference in culture pre and post First World War um, and the revolution and civil war is startling. Um, and I think it was captured in all art forms um, and Russian music um, in particular, of course, but uh, dance as well. Um, and uh, music by Irensky, I think, represents the sort of old world Russian culture uh, particularly well. It's poetic, lyrical, um, it, it's uh, um, just high romanticism, heart new sleeve kind of music. And Shostakovich Quintet is maybe if not the greatest uh, chamber music piece of the 20th century that came out of uh, Russia. It's certainly one of the greatest. Um, and it captures the tremendous tension um, under the seemingly jolly surface. Um, and to me, it points to what Tolstoy was essentially making a cornerstone of his philosophy that you can't really resolve conflicts through violence because um, you could win a war, but it is always temporary. And when we look around the world today and we see resurgence of anti-Semitism in Europe or, you know, these sort of 
nationalistic tendencies, um, and it hasn't really been even a hundred years since World War II. Um, it just reminds us how fragile the peace can be. So when were the two pieces written, the Arensky and the Shostakovich? Um, the Arensky is the late 19th century, very late, and Shostakovich Quintet was actually written kind of on the eve of World War II, which is interesting because um, it has all of the features of Shostakovich's style, this um, kind of false, forced, uh, celebratory uh, moods, but then it also has uh, high drama and this profound sorrow. Um, but it finishes in this surprising kind of jolly um, kind of mood, which was misunderstood, I believe, at premiere as a celebratory. Uh, but in fact, if you listen carefully, you can definitely hear um, sort of the sleeping volcano under a kind of a bucolic right. landscape. His his, his, those those kind of pieces are always ironic, aren't they? And and um, there's a sort of a boiling underneath them when you listen. You know, I don't know how else to describe it with those pieces. I was just really interested because um, I'm a baby boomer, so of course I grew up under the shadow of World War II, and I was always in, so influenced by World War II as I was a, a, a young boy. And uh, and yet the real shift was on World War One. I mean, you've read so many uh, Europeans saying things like, when things were normal before the Great War, and uh, the, write that um, uh, across Europe. And uh, it's hard, hard to remember that. So it's, it's, it's not surprising that this shift is between pre-World War I and post-World War I, even though it was before, you know, Shostakovich obviously continued to go after World War II, and World War II was shattering beyond what you can imagine for World War One, but the shift happened in World War One. You know, well, also Shostakovich um, is often kind of um, acknowledged for his um, chronicling of horrors of communism, but I think there's a deeper element in his music which uh, deals with onslaught of. Um, development of technology, machinery, on sort of an old world concepts of soul, um, artistic expression, and I think he was sensitive to that because he was born before World War One, um, and that deeper shift yes. uh, that actually continues into today. Yes. It started in early 20th century, you know, the automobile, the, all of these things. Not to sound um, like a, you know, Luddit, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, that it was a huge shift, and I know from reading about World War One, there were people didn't, in Europe didn't really understand what the modern technology was going to mean for warfare. There were people still going out on horses, and you know, I mean, it's hard to comprehend now. They didn't understand what tanks would do to change machine guns and machine yeah, guns. Yeah. That you know, that was yeah. that was quite a shock, I think, in in that war. And it's hard to hard to comprehend now what it was like for people at that time. Well, Alan, um, so how did you come into this conversation with Peter and deciding how to choreograph and express these kind of ideas in dance? 
Well, um, Peter and I have a, a, a really terrific relationship when it comes down to uh, programming, and he's been uh, always very patient uh, with with sort of the educational needs of, of Central Pennsylvania Youth Ballet in performing. We are a, a school, uh, and we consider the performance aspects uh, a continuation of the education. Um, so we were we were very particular about uh, choosing the music. And the uh, the Arinsky was a, a really good fit, um, uh, and I think um, you know I I heard it as romantic, but in a much more uh, calculated sort of quirky manner, almost as as if uh, to say this is what romantic music could sh should sound like. Mm -hmm. um, there are parts in it that I find, um, you know, deeply, deeply moving and parts of it that almost speak to a memory of, of a better time or something in the past. Uh, some really bright spots, particularly in the, the third and fourth movement that just, that just almost poke through like sunshine through clouds. Mm -hmm. And you have choreographed the entire piece this time, right? Um, we have chosen not to choreograph the first movement. Okay. Uh, Mendelssohn Piano Trio will play that movement, and I think it's a, a, a good introduction uh, to the audience into the work before the movement is introduced. Mm -hmm. And then we've done the, the second, third, and fourth movement of the right. work. Okay, okay. Because if I remember right, last time you danced, you only danced to one movement? Am I remembering correctly? That was in Messian. But, but in Shostakovich, was, we did the same format. And the, one movement. And the yes. first movement was almost like an overture. It worked yes. really nicely. Yes, yes. We mm -hmm. decided to do yeah. that same thing again. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Am I remembering right that you did discuss dancing to Shostakovich at one time earlier on in the in the discussions or well we went through a lot of repertoire and I have to <laughs> say part of uh, the joy of working with Alan and CPYB is um, I'm surprised a lot by things that um, they would be inspired by and the things that I would think that may inspire dancers is just a, it's opened a whole universe of new understanding for me mm -hmm. um and the other aspect of working with ballet in general um i find ballet um particularly glorious because precisely because it isn't like anything in everyday life right. um and it's one of the very few remaining windows into a space of pure beauty um, and the world of ethereal um, and um, any chance I get to, you know, work with somebody like Alan and, and share stage with dancers uh, on this level, it is a unique and elevating, inspiring, uplifting experience. I think with dance, uh, for me, I'm, I'm really fascinated. I'm just fascinated in all the arts, actually, between the the contrast between abstract artistic expression and concrete meaning. And um, 
uh, it, it certainly was in our, my conversation with the painter that uh, the exhibition that we just started with Matt Dahl, and um, and I know I I warned Alan in advance that I would ask something like this. So, Alan, as I listened to you, you talked about a memory of a better time, which is almost almost sounds like a form of nostalgia, um, mm-hmm. and so that's a very concrete meaning. And we've got bodies moving on stage in a certain way. Uh, I just wonder how those, how the abstraction of movement, and comes together with ideas like a memory of a better time, and how that comes together in your mind as you're working on choreography and how you express both of those things. Well, you know, honestly, sometimes for me it's subliminal, and I, I don't. I don't even understand myself until after the work comes together. I mean, if you can picture a painting and putting it together and how it, you see it come to life in front of you, the more brush strokes you do, uh, it's sort of the same. And, and uh, the abstract to concrete sort of idea uh, really comes through uh, the structure and, and putting it together. I was thinking a lot about what you said about about your question, and you know, it really. I, I found Arinsky peeled back layers, almost like an onion, uh, throughout the the work, and and went from. Um, even though it's a, a, a chamber work, went from big driving. Uh, boisterous sections to uh, really intimate moments, and and I, in looking at it now, I think of uh, you know how society works as a group, and then how we you know you peel back, and that group is made up of individuals who all have deeply personal experiences so that's that's sort of that's sort of the direction that i i went with and um sort of the direction i'm i'm coaching the work in now as we're in our final rehearsals i love the first part of your answer just because i really do believe with any artist their um, their mind their subconscious mind is is saying far more than they realize at any moment and and that's why after we've made art, a lot of times we look at it and we go, I didn't even know that was there. <laughs> and we realize. And so I think uh, some of the things you're talking about with structure, I, I really do believe, from my own experience as a composer, structure is probably the most important thing, even more than, which, than the ideas that you have in, within that structure. If you get the structure wrong, nothing else works. I'll put it that way. I, well, the structure enables us to understand. Yeah. Well, this is also um, resonating uh, with me for a number of reasons. Um, first of all, I'm always fascinated um, when Alan says things like, you know, there's a nostalgia element in the Rinsky Chiu and how through choreographing process he gets to something that's deep and underlining not just in the Rensky trio but in entire Russian art mm-hmm. Russia mm-hmm. generally has uh, this mythology of a better past and to some extent I think we are all tend to you know 
be vulnerable to this illusion that things were better somewhere and some yes. time ago. But in Russia particularly, because oftentimes historical events unfolded in such gruesome way um, and population was so you know long suffering there's this entire uh, world and universe of art that's created around it and I think the popularity of ballet as an escape and a dream um, in Russian culture I think in a stark contrast to the reality of that place um, I think contributed to, to, to rise and celebration of ballet both under the czars and in the Soviet Union and to this day I mean it's much much loved um, art form you right. know, I can tell you that um, by the age of 9 or 10 I saw probably two dozen ballets you know, so mm -hmm. it's, um, and it wasn't unique, you know, because I was from right. musical family. It was quite often something that school children did. Right. By the age of nine and ten, I had yeah. seen no ballets, yeah. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a different world here in the United States for sure. And I guess I came to dance uh, probably through opera. Uh, uh, you know, I fell in love with opera when I was a teenager, and then uh, through that came to see came to see dance, and and have grown with that as I worked with musical theater here here at Messiah. As I used to conduct it and worked with our our poor students who had no background in dance and had to learn to dance within the context of a show, and uh, from there have just grown into a, a real love for love for dance, and. I'm, I'm really am fascinated by how we use our bodies in our day-to-day -day lives to communicate. I, t I talked with Alan about this yesterday um, to, to communicate and then how that is perhaps stylized. I don't know, Alan, if you, you, you may totally disagree with what I'm saying and, um, or, and certainly could say it better than me, but you know, we use that uh, uh, the way we communicate with our bodies in dance, it becomes uh, underlined as a word that Peter used and, and heightened and the expression of it becomes much deeper and more real. I don't know, could you talk about that a little bit? Uh, does that m mean anything to you or would you th express that in very different ways? No, it does. It, um, you know, I, I, dan dancers are famously non-communicative verbally. And I think actually people who are really drawn into dance are people that are searching for a desire to communicate and uh, a way to communicate uh, with something other than vocabulary or oral vocabulary. So I think what you're saying is uh, exactly right. Yeah. This, of course, is we, we think that we communicate very exactly with words. And of course, those that study these things realize that words are not that exact in meaning, and we we sort of privilege privilege excuse me we sort of privilege verbal communication in our in our society, and yet uh, in in our interactions with each other, uh, nonverbal communications of all kinds are often far more important than the actual words. Well, psychology, mm. uh, I believe. Uh, considers over 90% of 
communication in human interaction be nonverbal. Right. And and language uh, is reductionist ultimately because you know when we think of the best examples of language they resort to metaphors when they want to communicate deeper things that cannot be yes. you know poetry and uh, metaphors and novels often say more than you know factual reports if they're in fact if they're good novels and good poetry um, and poetry is going to be part of this um, concert as well um, right. which, which is why I was um, I was delighted that um, there are poets who wrote something to um, celebrate this great novel and mm-hmm. contribute to the program um, but I wanted to go back to uh, dance as a form of uh, narrative and communication. Yeah. One of the things that uh, became increasingly clear for me in the last three years of f- watching Alan working with with the extraordinary kids uh, at CPYB, um, and some of them I've recognized will be the same dancers that we worked with and uh, I think a lot of people may have seen them in Nutcracker and um, is how small changes in gesture in in the way you move your hand or the way you tilt your head can completely change the mood can sort of brighten things up or bring a dark cloud and it's a very powerful powerful medium um, and as a musician, when you work with sound and you search continuously to refine ways of um, telling a story through sound, it's incredibly um, enriching to watch this process when Alan walks around the room and, you know, there's a dozen of dancers and things that he points out and I see suddenly these differences which I was completely unaware of. Um, and they, they're impactful. Um, it, it's an incredible uh, process. How do, does that work in the same in your direction, Alan? Of working with musicians, how does that influence the the dancers and refine what they're doing? Well, this is uh, one of my favorite parts of uh, working with the piano trio is that. Um, it impacts the dancers greatly, and and Peter and uh, the ensemble uh, are so generous in their time when we rehearse and uh, breaking things down. Um, it really becomes um, for us um, a, a much, much, much richer experience, and I think it's a, a palpable experience. Uh, for the audience. I always hope in choreographing to uh, particularly chamber music uh, that that what we do, the experience combining the music and dance uh, enables the audience to through what they're seeing hear more of the music. Um, I know that Peter and other other musicians and and composers and uh, conductors that I've worked with have have told me that there's a similar impact uh, that happens from the the movement being generated on the stage yes. to the music and maybe Peter you can express oh, that better than absolutely. I am absolutely. 
And in fact, I would take this a little further and say that anyone who will come on Sunday, I am hoping that they will simply experience passing of time and rhythm differently because the if when music and movement come together in an organic way and plus we're going to have obviously certain light changes and things like that i think it, it can have a unique time space continuum which we hope to draw audience in and um give them an experience that is um richer and more multidimensional than just um you know seeing a, a dance performance or going to a concert it um and i don't think there's a way of achieving that to the same extent when you don't have live musicians on the same stage close by even when music orchestra is in the pit it's already uh, a distance it's not quite the same so yeah this is a very unique level of collaboration well because well there's, a, there, there's well there's also like an actual uh unspoken communication that's happening between all the players mm -hmm. between the, between the dancers and the musicians that yeah. you know the dancers it's hear the collaborative nature of chamber music carried into the dance as well it's exactly everybody's responding to what everyone's doing could you talk about that a little bit i know that you don't play the music the same way when you have the dancers on stage right i mean that's it, it, it influences even the way you perform the piece oh absolutely um i was fascinated for the first time i heard alan say to dancers you know to phrase something and you know until then i thought that ultimately dance is rooted in rhythm and even if you have a complicated rhythm the idea of keeping time and beat you know kind of supersedes but the idea that you can dance in phrases and lines which is exactly what we strive to create exactly. we create something that is not limited by the beat by the rhythm but rather yes. you know rests on a foundation of that but is free um and it struck me uh, as as just incredibly relatable um and we definitely play differently and in fact i would say later on after we did the shostakovich trio two years ago we've performed that piece just in concert and we had definitely new dimensions in this piece that we became aware of and so I it deepened your performances even when the dancers weren't with you yeah yeah no. it, it had a lasting lasting impact do you find the same thing happening for the dancers alan well, I, I, I go back to the, the communication part, part of, of our conversation. And, you know, it's, it's uh, like chamber music. It becomes reactionary. The music becomes, you, you react to what you're hearing another person playing, whether, rather than only it being a beat or a metronome or, you know, you know the music's going to be higher here or lower here or have more attack here or there. When, you, when you're actually reacting in the moment to how the music is being played, it has a huge impact. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's just fascinating to hear you talk about this. Um, 
And you, you said that the trio was very uh, generous with their rehearsal time. Could I ask about how much time do you spend putting these things together? Um, well, I mean, in time, not a lot of time. I mean, we, we have a, a rehearsal in um, in the studio this Thursday evening at CPYB. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think the generosity comes from um, a little bit of me being a taskmaster and with the dance and uh, wanting them to understand uh exactly the root of the movement within the music and uh the ensemble uh plays their fingers to death on that evening (laughs) so that's that's the generosity i'm speaking of yes well we're we're delighted to let alan um lead this because the pieces that we're playing can be played effectively in many, many ways. That's what makes good music, and that's why we choose really good repertoire. Um, But because this is um, a partnership, and the idea is that we're coming into um, essentially a new ballet, um, we want to be part of it, and um, you know if there are certain changes we can make that make the whole thing more impactful. It's wonderful. Well, yesterday when I spoke with Alan, I said, "Is there anything else you'd like to cover?" And and Alan, you made the wonderful comment about we're creating new art here in this community. Uh, could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm so grateful uh, for this collaboration uh, with with the ensemble and. Uh, so grateful for the the sponsors and the audience members that all make it happen. I mean, we are creating art. It's not art that's being uh, imported and shown. It's art that is live and being created and many times uh, goes on to have a life outside of uh, central Pennsylvania. So it's... it's uh, I think it's a really cool thing. Uh, I hope it's something that the uh, community takes pride in knowing uh, that we are, that they're in an area that that takes great joy in in creating this sort of work. Sure, and and art that can have a life, as you said, outside of this community, but um, has its home here and it's, it's... It's birth here. Well, and also, um, you know, as Alan and Richard and, and, and I, we're all essentially teachers and educators through many, many yes. years. Um, I find an opportunity to do something um, significant artistically with young children who are just starting their professional lives in the ballet Um a, a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to impact someone meaningfully on their journey. Well, and also to illustrate to them that this can be part of it. It's they're not they're not keepers of the museum, um, but they can be uh, you know artists making new work throughout their careers. And uh, that for me, that's certainly been uh, one of the most important parts of what I've done through the years. One of the most 
meaningful for me, at least, when I'm able to do that. And so I, I just loved your comment yesterday, Alan, and, uh, and I know the results have been spectacular, and I'm really looking forward to this Sunday. Well, and so are we. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Is there anything else we need to cover today? I, uh, any, any final comments about this concert? Uh, Peter, I think you can wrap it up if you want. Well, it's just a delight to do this for the third year, and I hope this will continue into the future, and I hope people will choose to spend their Sunday afternoon with us, because um, this is a unique experience, and there isn't anything like um, this collaboration, you know, within a hundred miles radius. Yes. I can say, having seen the other two concerts, this is just a wonderful, wonderful uh, thing when it happens. And I, there's something about being in the Parmer Hall and that large stage, and it's not meant for dance. It's not the right kind of theater for that. And here are these young people dancing so beautifully to this incredible music, and it's just a spectacular uh, thing when it happens. And it's, it's been wonderful every time it's happened. And I'm really excited to come on Sunday and see the next, next installment. And I know we're planning again for next year already, so uh, this will continue for a while longer, at least. And, uh, and I'm excited about that. So Peter and Alan, thank you so much for taking time to, to join me today and for this uh, podcast. And uh, best wishes for Sunday. Yes, thank thank you. you. Thank you very much. Looking forward to it. This is Richard Robertson from the Dean's Office.